you're not going to run a successful corporation if you don't treat well your employees or you don't treat well your customers or you are not a good relation with the community. So I think that uh, uh, you should, of course, uh, pay attention to all those things. The question is, who should have the ultimate decision right? This is Briefly, a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. Today we're discussing who corporations serve. For decades, there's been near consensus in the corporate world that corporations exist to serve the interests of their shareholders. This idea, which is called shareholder supremacy or shareholder primacy, is closely associated with the Chicago School of Economics and Milton Friedman in particular, who famously said that the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. But the consensus around shareholder primacy has weakened lately, and the Business Roundtable, which is an association of American CEOs, recently reversed its policy that corporations are only meant to benefit shareholders. They now say corporations must serve the interests of all of their stakeholders, including employees, customers, and the communities in which they operate. Some think it's about time that corporations consider broader interests beyond the stockholders, while others think the Business Roundtable's policy change muddles corporate law and is just a power grab by CEOs to avoid accountability from their shareholders. Today we'll talk to Professor Eric Posner of the University of Chicago Law School and Professor Luigi Zingales of Chicago Booth School of Business to hear two sides of the debate on whether corporations should primarily serve only their shareholders or whether they should benefit other stakeholders as well. Starting with you, Professor Posner, what exactly is shareholder primacy or shareholder supremacy? I think the concept of shareholder uh, supremacy refers to the idea that the people who manage a corporation, the CEO mainly, should take actions that um, maximize stock price. And uh, it's fine if those actions come at the expense of other stakeholders in the corporation, including employees, creditors, um, suppliers, consumers. And uh, although I don't think, you know, the the proponents of uh, shareholder uh, supremacy have said this explicitly. I think it's been taken to mean that corporations should do anything necessary to maximize profits, even if it can cause uh, social harm. And where did the idea that corporations need to serve the interests of their shareholders come from? It, is that rooted in statute, or is it just a policy that's been developed by economists or lawyers? Uh, well, that's a, that's a complicated question. So co- corporations are created out of contracts, and the contracts um, under these contracts, shareholders are entitled to uh, basically profits, and creditors are entitled to um, their uh, loans back with interest, and then corporations will make uh, separate contracts with um, workers and consumers. And the idea that the shareholder, the CEO should maximize uh, profits comes from this idea that the share, the contracts with shareholders give uh, the shareholders the, the, res, the residual, uh, the profit. Um, and that I suppose the, uh, the CEO should cause the corporation to make that amount as large as possible. And I think that there's a kind of a legal background to this idea. Um, the, the historically, this idea is often credited to uh, Milton Friedman, who argued in, I think, 1970 or the early 1970s in the New York Times that uh, 
CEOs should maximize shareholder profits. Um, I think it's it's a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, uh, there are there. I think at the time there was the view that CEOs um, often did stuff that wasn't really in the interest of anybody. They built empires. Maybe they engaged in social policy or tried to influence social policy. And Friedman and others thought it would make more sense for CEOs to focus um, on profits alone. So this idea that Friedman had that corporations should serve uh, shareholders' interests and maximize their profits, why is that wrong? And why would it be preferable to focus on broader stakeholder interests? Friedman wasn't wasn't entirely clear about what he meant. And, And he said some things that were confusing and wrong. For example, he said that CEOs were employees of shareholders, which is not true legally. It's not true practically. CEOs are employees of the corporation. They have a contract. The corporation itself has a contractual relationship with shareholders. Things are much more complicated than he suggested. Um, I think the the most serious problem with the view, though, is that if taken uh, literally and possibly even in the way that uh, Friedman meant, CEOs should engage in uh, lobbying uh, the government. Um, they should engage in social policy. Now, ironically, Friedman starts off by saying that that's a problem. The CEO shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be supporting Nixon's um, wage and price controls. But uh, but it seems to me that if you say to a CEO, maximize profits, the first thing he or she is going to think of is that, well, you know, there's this government regulation that limits my ability to pollute the environment, which keeps my costs high, or there's another government regulation that prevents me from merging with a competitor, which would allow me to cartelize markets and raise prices. Uh, The logical way to maximize uh, profits in these circumstances is to go to the government and try to persuade it to relax uh, these rules. And of course, the effect of that is to harm third parties, uh, whoever the rules are intended to protect. But if the CEO is supposed to maximize profits, uh, he or she shouldn't care about that. Um, those aren't sure, the ordinary people who uh, would be affected by these actions are not shareholders. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, uh, to some extent, it's, it's of course hard to know how much CEOs were influenced by Friedman or anybody else, but there very much has been a view that CEOs should do what it takes to make profitable uh, companies. Uh, there's a very long uh, history of CEOs lobbying the government in order to um, allow them to make more money than they would uh, otherwise. And it seems to me this idea feeds into that uh, impulse uh, that, that, that already exists. So in the decades since shareholder primacy gained traction as an idea, uh, corporations have come under a lot of pressure, especially since the Great Recession. A lot of people think they've contributed to global warming or income inequality. So I'm wondering if you think that the idea of shareholder primacy has actually caused corporate officers to behave less responsibly or if it hasn't had much of an effect? I don't think anybody knows or, or could know. I think the real uh, empirical evidence, such as it is, that this idea is a destructive one is, is, is purely anecdotal. That's, only, that's always the best that we can do. But I'll, I'll give an example. So uh, influenced by this idea... Many corporations, through the the boards of directors, created uh, stock options for CEOs. 
And, you know, the idea was very much to link the CEO's payoffs to those of shareholders. So if the CEO causes uh, the stock to increase, the CEO will make more money. And uh, if uh, she doesn't cause the stock to increase, she won't make more money. And these were very popular, were used uh, a great deal. Um, there's actually not much evidence that stock options have improved the incentives of CEOs. And in fact, there's a great deal of evidence that they actually game um, the options. So they can engage in various types of actions that are actually not good for shareholders or anyone that allow them to time certain, uh, you know, uh, the recognition of profits or whatever it is in ways that will uh, benefit uh, their options. They engaged in backdating of options uh, and other types of abuses. Um, and uh, and so the, the Friedman idea led to this kind of simple-minded mechanical uh, instrument that was put into place, which caused uh, CEOs to engage in ways that uh, were harmful, even for ironically shareholders. Uh, so I think that would that would be an example of the harm uh, that comes from thinking about CEOs in this way. Turning to you, Professor Zingales, in your view, the idea that corporations need to serve their shareholders doesn't necessarily imply that they should just maximize profits at all costs. Uh, and you further draw a distinction between the, uh, the concept of shareholder supremacy versus shareholder primacy, and that those concepts have different meanings. So can you speak a little bit about that? Okay, I will make two distinctions. The first one is uh, when I, and this may be my distinction, but when I consider shareholder primacy and not supremacy, I think that uh, shareholders have the right to make decisions when they're controversial and when they bear the cost. Uh, they don't have the right to be opportunistic at the expenses of the other categories. Uh, so um, if I were to take all the money uh, that the corporation has and play the roulette in Las Vegas, I uh, maximize shareholders' value um, but I destroy value because on average I don't win at Las Vegas and I impose a huge externality on uh, uh, creditors. So in that particular case, I would see this is a opportunistic decision and that's why in my view, uh, the law says that uh, your duty is to the corporation and its shareholders is not just the shareholders because I, if you the duty was only to the shareholders, then playing uh, roulette would be the right thing to do. Okay, so that that's uh, that's number one uh, uh, distinction. Number two, uh, Oliver Hart and I have uh, kind of uh, improved the Friedman position because uh, uh, Friedman takes the assumption that seems fairly innocuous that uh, either shareholders care only about money or if they do care about something else other than money, um, the, uh, there is no benefit of uh, uh, implementing the social actions care shareholders care about at the corporate level rather than at the personal level. So let me be more specific because I understand this is a bit tricky. So number one, uh, let's dispel the assumption people don't care only about money. Uh, in 
I'm a professor, even if I could make more money in the financial industry, because I care about things other than money. And I think most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us have other things in the utility function uh, besides money. So now imagine that uh, we all care a bit, for example, about the environment or um, we all care a bit about uh, living in a better community or stuff like that. Um, then uh, Milton Friedman still says it's better for the corporation to maximize profits and then to distribute that money to the shareholders. Uh, and the shareholders can choose where to allocate in the way they please them the most. And, uh, and this conclusion is absolutely true if we talk about corporate donations. Why? Because $1 donated at corporate level and $1 donated at a personal level, taxes aside, doesn't make any difference, okay? Uh, but if uh, the corporation donates the money, uh, it forces everybody to donate to one special charity. Uh, on the other hand, if the shareholders choose the charity, they choose a charity of their choice. And so... Uh, that increases their utility. And uh, given the amount of money donated, that will make the that that will make the shareholders happier, and so that will increase utility, and that's good. Okay, so, but this uh, result, which is absolutely true, is very much dependent on the assumption, uh, which is true in the case of corporate donation, as I will explain in a second, is not true in most cases that. Uh, Doing something at the corporate level, doing something at the personal level is equally efficient. And that's true for donation. But think about for a second uh, pollution. Uh, it's much cheaper to curb pollution at emission than to emit pollution and then try to capture it later on. Uh, it's much cheaper to restrict the sale of assault weapons than to sell assault weapons and then go out and try to sort of uh, check that they don't commit mass murders and, and so on and so forth. So I would say that in most uh, real-world situations, the Friedman assumption is not correct. And, and so uh, Oliver Art and I point out that uh, uh, if that's the case and we think that's the case, then we should find ways for shareholders to express their preferences to uh, management so that they can uh, actually implement those preferences. And in your view, why is shareholder primacy preferable to uh, the broader stakeholder model that the Business Roundtable is proposing? So I'm an economist, so I come from an economic perspective. And so I think that uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's not an issue of who you should consider. You should consider them all. Uh, you're not going to run a successful corporation if you don't treat well your employees or you don't treat well your customers or you are not a good relation with the community. So I think that uh, uh, you should, of course, uh, pay attention to all those things. The question is, who should have the ultimate decision right? And, uh, and here, I come very strongly on the fact that uh, from an economic point of view, uh, it makes sense to have the shareholders make uh, have this ultimate decision right. Why? Because uh, they are the ones that pay most of the cost uh, of decisions. So uh, if uh, we want to um, save the environment, 
uh, and uh, reduce pollution, uh, CO2 emission to save the environment. This is a very laudable cause, and many shareholders can be in favor of it. But uh, having the workers decide it when the shareholders will uh, foot the bill is tantamount to taxation without representation. And so um, I think that's a very important and sound principle in America, and I think should be followed also in, uh, in corporations. And what do you mean that shareholders are the ones who bear the most costs? You could say that creditors bear costs in the event of the corporation's default or those in the community who suffer maybe from pollution from corporations would also bear costs, right? They're bearing most of it. In fact, uh, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm, I'm going in a difficult territory here. But uh, my understanding is when a company is near insolvency, uh, the prescription is that they should pay attention to uh, the creditors, not just to the shareholders. And to me, that's evidence of the fact that the law uh, incorporates this decision that uh, you should pay attention to or you should give uh, voting rights and voting power to the party that bears most of the costs. And, and you're right that employees and uh, creditors, even the community, uh, bear some of the costs. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And that's the reason why I think that uh, ignoring those costs and uh, uh, using an opportunistic uh, uh, strategy in which you try to extract the most at the expense of the others is something that is clearly wrong. Um, but uh, uh, when it comes to normal decisions, so think about uh, uh, sh should we pay more to reduce CO2 emission. One of my favorite lines is, uh, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the flaring, when you extract oil, uh, there is a natural gas that comes out and it's very, difficult, very dangerous not to burn it on site or to try to capture. It's very expensive to capture it. Uh, to burn it is you're wasting energy and create CO2 for nothing. And apparently, like 2 or 3% of the CO2 emission in America due to flaring. So it's not a trivial amount. Um, but it's very costly to reduce it. So if you are a corporation, uh, should you decide to reduce that? And uh, the answer is, you should let the shareholders, uh, at the end of the day, make this decision. Because uh, if you... Uh, decides to reduce flaring at a large cost, they are bearing the cost. Uh, mostly are not employees, is not the community, is not uh, uh, the creditors, are the, the, the shareholders. So they should make that decision. That makes sense that shareholders bear the most cost among the stakeholders of the corporation. But isn't it true that they also get a disproportionate amount of the benefits? So take the whether the decision whether to burn off or to capture the gas, they would directly bear the cost of capturing the gas, but they stand to benefit a lot if they shirk on those costs and you know contribute to global warming. Uh, so how could we ever trust shareholders to make decisions that are in the best interest of the community if they they stand to gain more than they stand to lose? Look, I think that the, the government has an obligation to intervene and uh, force uh, some internationalization of the externalities. So, uh, and they have the power to intervene. Now, uh, looking at the failure of government to intervene and trying to 
put all the burden on cooperation, it seems, number one, a bit unfair, and number two, um, very much in the spirit of, of what Milton Friedman used to say, uh, there should be a, an individual responsibility before a corporate social responsibility. So why do, do you want to impose this on corporations and not to individuals? Uh, do you eat meat? When you eat meat, you create a large externalities. So uh, why you're getting the benefit of eating meat uh, and you're not paying the full cost of uh, the CO2 emission that you generate? Uh, I don't think that you should be treated different than a corporation. Uh, I know that the, this is not very popular these days, but uh, corporations are people. <laughs> that makes sense legally, but what do you say to the fact that practically corporations have very little in common with, with individual people? Obviously, some some corporations have economies larger than many of the world's mm -hmm. countries. So maybe we wouldn't insist on an individual person you know, considering all of the externalities of their behavior. But if you're an economy the size of Norway, we're going to insist that you consider the interests of everyone you're affecting rather than just the one group, the shareholders. Um, I do believe that corporations are uh, too powerful, uh, but that's to some extent precisely the reason why I don't want to let uh, CO decide for everybody. Because at the end of the day, when you say that you should uh, uh, consider all these other constituencies, what you are doing is giving complete discretion to CEOs. Uh, and that's exactly what the Business Roundtable, by the way, is trying to do, is trying to free themselves from any accountability and uh, do whatever they want, which is, uh, in my view, the, the worst possible outcome, precisely because corporations are so powerful. Professor Posner, back to you. What do you think of the idea that, you know, whatever you want to say about the shareholder supremacy paradigm, at least it's clear and at least it provides a means of accountability for CEOs and boards of directors. We can look at some measure and say, are you doing a good job for, for this group of people at least, rather than just have them, you know, doing whatever they want and, and justifying it as helping one stakeholder or another? Well, the thing is, you know, this is an old problem. It's it's like, you know, the way U.S. news um, rates uh, colleges and law schools and universities and so forth is you could have a simple metric that makes it easy for people to evaluate a certain service or uh, activity. But if the metric is simple, it will encourage the people who are measured by it to engage in strategic behavior that might cause uh, more harm than good. And so in the case of universities and, and other educational institutions, everybody understands that a lot of gaming uh, in, goes on. Um, it may be that, you know, in aggregate, uh, these metrics uh, are good, uh, but they clearly uh, cause harm along the way. And uh, the idea here is that uh, the simple metric would be uh, stock price, and then we would just evaluate um, the uh, CEO based on the stock price effectively. And uh, of course, uh, at least if the metric is designed properly, that will cause the CEO to maximize the stock price. But if as a result, um, the CEO causes harm to other stakeholders and to society as, as large, um, we're, we're, it's not a good outcome. You know, it might be measurable, but, but not good. So uh, ultimately what we care about is um, the public good in general. 
And we don't want to use a metric that doesn't uh, maximize uh, the public good. Um, now, uh, I do think uh, that um, it's not an easy question what it means for a CEO to uh, you know, benefit all stakeholders. And, and I think it would be a mistake to try to you know, apply a kind of social welfare function and say, you know, every time the CEO does something, let's evaluate it based on the effect on shareholders, consumers, workers, creditors, people who live near the factory, and everybody in the world. I mean, you, you obviously can't do that. But where the real question arises is when we see corporations do things that uh, we understand as a general matter of public po policy are, are harmful. Uh, now, and sometimes it's it's simple because there's a law that already exists that embodies this public policy. And so when we see a CEO engage in accounting fraud, uh, we don't need to make a complicated judgment. Uh, we will reject an argument by the CEO that the accounting fraud was justified because it ultimately benefited shareholders. Even if the CEO could show persuasively that it benefited shareholders more than it harmed anyone who was defrauded, the CEO will go, still go to jail. And so I think we're already comfortable with the idea that certain policy norms can be enforced against CEOs and put a restriction on this idea that they should um, uh, maximize social value. Now, a simple response, and I think this is the response Friedman would probably give, is, you know, fine. So the government should go ahead and pass laws that uh, put constraints on what CEOs can do, where those actions would cause some kind of net social harm, uh, maybe laws that prohibit pollution, for example, and fraud. But then within that uh, constraint, the CEO should should be uh, required to maximize shareholder value. But unfortunately, I think that's that's too simple an idea because the, the CEOs remain um, uh, able to engage in lobbying and other forms of influence. And so they have every incentive to try to weaken the laws that uh, actually are necessary for protecting uh, society. We could say, well, CEOs should never engage in lobbying, but that's unrealistic as well because sometimes uh, corporations have a legitimate interest in influencing law. Uh, and so, uh, so we're, we're, we're at a bit of an impasse. Uh, and I don't think there's any uh, substitute for the idea that people have to exercise judgment in this case. And so when you have CEOs who um, lead corporations in such a way that they produce good products uh, that people value and offer you know, good jobs and provide reasonable returns to shareholders, we might say that's, that's a good CEO. Um, in the more complicated situation where we have a CEO who generates a lot of value for shareholders or other stakeholders, but also does obviously destructive things, um, then we should be prepared to condemn, condemn the CEO. Um, and we should encourage the CEOs in these cases to exercise responsibility to these you know, so-called stakeholders and, and to society, uh, society as large, rather than celebrating uh, whichever CEOs are able to generate the most shareholder value. So I want to transition now to talking about the legal aspect of this question of shareholder supremacy, and specifically, what legal interests other stakeholders have in the functioning of a corporation. So if you're a shareholder, you're entitled to some residual profits and the right to vote in certain circumstances on 
big company decisions. That makes some intuitive sense as to why you might be viewed as the decision maker in, in terms of corporate strategy. If, if you're allowed to vote occasionally, maybe you're the one who's really you know, guiding the ship. It's less intuitive, to me at least, why other stakeholders have a legal interest in how the corporations run. For example, if, if you're you know, a customer of Apple or you work at Walmart, what legal interest do you have in dictating the way that that entity uh, is run? Well, you you don't. You just have a. I mean, you have a contractual right to whatever you bought, and that's it. Um, let's go back to. The, let's start with the shareholder and go through these people. So the shareholder, as a matter of contract, has the right to uh, the liquidation value of the company ultimately, and the right to vote and may and maybe dividends. Well, probably not a right to dividends, but may may receive dividends. And uh, uh, I guess a right to be paid before other people, and so on and so forth, and the the right to vote. Now there there are usually millions of, of stockholders, so the voting right is pretty much meaningless. They don't really have any influence over the over the company. Now, uh, from the standpoint of the CEO, uh, I mean, he doesn't have any contractual relationship with the shareholder. He has a duty of loyalty to the corporation. The corporation has a contractual relationship with the with the shareholder. So the CEO's duty of loyalty, which is somewhat ambiguous, right, it's to the corporation, not to the shareholder. But the um, the what the corporation should do acting through the CEO is simply respect the vote and to issue dividends uh, if appropriate or provide its liquidation, you know, the, the money that it receives if it's ever liquidated to the shareholder. That That's it. That That's what that's so for, right for the existing shareholder that's all they're entitled to what the the reason why it might make sense to the ceo is to maximize shareholder value is to reduce the cost of capital over time right so if the ceo shows that she and the corporation are you know very good at making money then more people will be willing would be uh, likely to buy a share of the profits in the future. And so that makes it easier to raise uh, money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and why is it good for them to raise money? Well, so, I mean, there's no escaping. You have to make some kind of moral argument about this. It's good because it means that society becomes wealthier and the money is distributed to people in various ways that we, we might approve, mm -hmm. approve of. But the shareholder doesn't have any legal right to compel the um, CEO to maximize the return. The shareholder is the vote. And so the shareholder might try to use that vote to compel the um, CEO to maximize the return. But the shareholder might not, you know, might not care, might want the corporation to act in an ethical way, or might just be, you know, sort of confused and, and, and passive. So it doesn't really tell us what that particular contract doesn't tell us what the CEO should do. The contract with the worker and with the consumer also don't really tell us what the CEO should do. The contract with the worker says the CEO has to pay the worker and provide other benefits in return for work. And the contract with the uh, consumer says if the consumer buys a product, you have to provide whatever uh, you, know, you, you supplied. And there's no particular reason to think in the abstract that the CEO, to the extent that there's some kind of money or resource over which she has discretionary authority should hand it out to a consumer in the form of artificially low prices, to the worker in the form of a, of artificially high wages or better working conditions, to the shareholder 
You know, it, I mean, it, the, in the case of the creditor, it'd be even stranger. You know, you say to the bank, yeah, I like you. I'm going to give you, you know, more interest than you're entitled to. So, so none of those contracts really tell us anything. The CEO has a contract with the corporation where basically the CEO is supposed to be a, an honest agent for the corporation, but that's question begging as well, right? So the question is, what do you, if, if the corporation is sort of generating resources that um, it's not a, a, obligated to, uh, distribute immediately in some sense to one of its contractual partners, what should the CEO CEO do? And um, the CEO could say, uh, what they usually do is they, re they, they could say, well, I'm going to uh, make some, uh, issue some dividends, which is are discretionary again, right? Why? Because if we issue dividends, our cost of capital will go down, which will help us um, in the future. Or we could invest internally and in order to produce uh, good products. Why should we do that? Because then, in the future, we can um, we can uh, uh, make more money by selling more more products. But there's a kind of a that doesn't exhaust uh, all the options of, of of the CEO, and that's why corporations routinely do things like uh, make uh, make charitable contributions, and um, uh, they do all kinds of things, you know, have really nice uh, workplaces or whatever, whatever, whatever uh, the CEO should do. The CEO should not, uh, you know, buy a private uh, jet that she doesn't need. You know, it's sort of easy to 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 um, to say that it may be difficult in practice to know whether a CEO uh, does that or not. But there's a certain kind of question begging um, uh sense of it's sort of question begging to, to say you've got all these contracts the contracts don't really you know say in the end how the ceo should um should act that the ceo has a lot of uh, discretion and finally i'm interested if you think this policy change at the business roundtable to consider stakeholders whether that will have an effect um, on the way the corporations actually behave and if you think we can res expect more responsible behavior now that they're not wedded to the idea of shareholder supremacy. I, I don't think, you know, business roundtable statement means anything in the sense of, you know, requiring corporations to do something or causing corporations to do or CEOs to do something different from what they've done in the past. It's, you know, it's just, you know, it's propaganda, basically. I think it's it's interesting, though, because um, and, and I think it's meaningful as a reflection of a change in culture. I think that uh, which we which we see in many different ways. I think there was simply more of a tendency to be deferential among the public generally. There was more of a tendency to be deferential to CEOs and corporations in the last you know twenty or thirty years, and and that's less so the case now. And so CEOs no longer want to brag that they're maximizing shareholder value. They no longer want to announce to the public that um, their sole job is to maximize shareholder value. Uh, although 10 or 20 years ago, uh, some of them, you know, not all businesses did that, you know, said that before, but but I think it's harder to, to say that. Um, and I think it's harder to say that just because people have become more skeptical about the motives of CEOs and the, um, and the, uh, the, the the you know the, the the benefits of the of the corporate form to some extent or maybe of the market economy but uh, but I don't you know there's no nobody really knows how to make things better uh it's it's simply not clear I, my my view is 
you know, you can't really, you can't really, I mean, it remains the case that corporations are basically the result of various contracts, which in our system, um, the various parties have a lot of freedom to negotiate or or not to join in the first place. And so uh, as long as we're going to, you know, keep corporations, uh, which I think we should, uh, we can't just sort of announce uh, to the CEOs, um, you know, act and act in a better way. I don't think that that's meaningful. I don't think it's mean- that meaningful. Uh, the only real way to constrain corporations is through uh, law and regulation. This has been briefly a production of the University of Chicago Law Review. You can follow us on Twitter at ushylrev. And you can find more episodes of Briefly on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.